Hello and welcome to Tea with G. I'm Georgia and it is truly a pleasure to have you here. This episode is particularly exciting because it's our first episode together. Um, So I do hope you'll enjoy yourself as much as I have. And um, yeah, this is my first time attempting something like a podcast, um, particularly narrating one. So I do hope you can give me some feedback and I hope you'll cut me, um, I hope you'll cut me some slack where it's not so good. But either way, I am super grateful to have you checking in. I really wanted to talk about a topic that I lovingly refer to as common oddities. The concept is, it's super simple, right? Everyday people with odd little features. So fingers crossed, after listening, you'll have a greater insight into some of the random conditions that the people around you might have. And and for all of the people watchers, you'll have something new and exciting to look for. So... I wanted to start off with um, something that I have titled Triple the Fun. So I won't disclose who all of these common oddities have come from. Um, I I feel like I should respect people's privacies, but I can confirm that this first one is mine. um, So I don't have to hold back. Uh, It just felt right, you know, like exposing myself first. It sort of feels like a bit of an icebreaker. But anyway, to drop the bomb, I have three ankle bones on each foot. Now, that's putting it very dramatically. I'm trying to really hook you in here. Um, It's actually called an accessory navicular bone. So vast majority of the people who have the accessory navicular bone, including myself, have no issues whatsoever. There's just, you know, you can live your whole life being asymptomatic. Um, For me, I usually forget it's there, so it's definitely not something that has a huge impact on on our lives. But what is it? What is it? So an accessory accessory navicular bone is an additional bone or cartilage buildup. And I can best describe it to you as like a secondary ankle bone that doesn't actually serve any function. And just... Before you run away with your imagination, I need to clarify, I don't have a whole extra ankle. Like that's not, (laughs) that's not, I don't have like two ankles. Um, It's just the easiest way to describe it is it's basically like you have one ankle bone on the outer side of your ankle. You have another ankle bone on the inner side of your ankle. And then people who have an accessory navicular bone have basically a third protrusion, which looks and feels very much like a third ankle bone. Um, So if you're looking at your ankles now, it would basically appear sort of like a finger's width below your inner ankle bone. So if you're just, (laughs) if you'll just humor me, right? So get, grab your foot. And look at your ankle bone on the inner side, of course, and pop your thumb on the bone and put the tip of your index finger at the top of your arch. So wherever your arch peaks at its highest and roughly in the middle of this space is a bone called the navicular. And if you feel the space above the arch, you should be able to feel a bone um, kind of in that space that we've created. 
So for the few of us who have an accessory navicular bone, it's basically located in the middle of that space. Um, it's usually a little closer to the arch than the ankle though. So while, <laughs> while we're marveling at our feet, um, we should also consider what lies kind of underneath that area. So the navicular and the accessory navicular bone are both attached to a tendon or, well, rather the tendon is attached to the bones. So this tendon is called the posterior tibial tendon. Posterior being um, situated behind, tibial referring to the tibia, um, which is like the shin bone, and tendon, uh, well, <laughs> a tendon's a tendon, right? They do tendon things. It's uh, the connecting tissue that helps with movement. It's the, um, the glue that binds our bones and muscles together. Uh, of course, there are a few other ligaments too, soft tissues, fibrous tissues, um, that are all attached to the navicular in some way or another. And for some unlucky people with the condition, luckily, not me, they develop something called accessory navicular syndrome, ANS for short. And this can cause mild to severe pain in and around that area. And uh, it's mostly due to three things. Number one, injury to the structures attached to the navicular bone. So that's stuff like the tibial tendon we just talked about. Number two, chronic irritation from shoes and footwear. And number three, excessive or consistent strain on the ankles and feet. So this would be especially applicable to people who play sports, stuff like futsal, footy, soccer, all of those kind of sports that have a lot of foot movement. Netball would be another great one. Um, so it, the, in terms of the pain, it can be, you know, inflammation, irritation, swelling, throbbing, redness, um, and, you know, it can be debilitating in some cases. Again, I am super lucky. I've never had a single issue with my third little bone. Um, but, you know, for some people, the basic movement can just become excruciating. Walking, running, even standing can be you know, taken away from them because of this additional bone. So there's heaps of non-surgical ways to aid in recovery, uh, stuff like resting the afflicted areas, icing for inflammation and swelling, uh, like medications for pain management, physical therapies for strengthening the area, um, and use of, you know, orthotic, orthotic devices in, in serious cases. But surgery is also an option. And I have a cousin who had, um, who has the same thing. And he unfortunately did experience a lot of these painful um, symptoms. So he actually had his removed. So I'm, I definitely count my, count myself lucky that I haven't had to do that, um, because I'm not very good with needles or hospitals. <laughs> so. The bone is not needed for normal foot function at all. In fact, it's it's not a normal part of the bone structure to begin with. So the bone can quite easily be removed without sort of any side effects. Uh, the bone can also be reshaped um, and the tendon repaired. So there's a bunch of fixes, but as I said, it's really not that big of a deal for most of us. We just live our lives and we don't really notice it. Um, information on the rarity of this condition was, well, rare, 
what I could find is is that you know as little as two percent of a population and as much as twenty percent of a population can have it so it is something you're born with you guys don't have to worry about randomly growing a, a third ankle bone um you're safe so if you were going to have it you would have it by now um that's for sure it does usually develop into your adolescence um you know sort of as cartilage and bone starts to really solidify and, and find its place so personally i'm just a bony girl living in my bony world and and I've never experienced any discomfort due to my my third bone and uh, never even any rubbing which I think is pretty good granted I do I do live a pretty sedentary lifestyle um, perhaps if I'd ever taken a liking to physical activity at any point I may have had a less favorable story to tell but for the moment I will just keep my little third bone and um, live happily ever after hopefully wow i am feeling very blessed of the minute i have a nice warm cup of tea and some ginger snap biscuits and it is raining outside um yes i'm having a moment of reflection but uh staying within the theme of bony protrusions this next oddity that i wanted to talk about is basically an extra bone buildup within the the roof of the mouth um trust me trust me <laughs> it sounds a lot more frightening than it is and it's actually a lot more common than you think and i feel like i should probably stipulate now it's not like having another tooth you know like it's not an actual tooth growth that is a completely different condition this is just bone buildup, and it is called torus palatinus. Now, I'm not entirely sure if it's palatinus or palatinus. I'm going to pronounce it comfortably by saying palatinus. So, torus palatinus is a bony growth, and it's found particularly in the roof of the mouth. So, according to my research <laughs> anywhere between 20 and 30 percent of people can have the condition and uh, oddly enough I thought is that it's more common in women and uh, even more oddly in those of Asian descent so if you put your tongue to the top of your mouth um, most of us have you know sort of the perfect shape to rest the tongue kind of like the inside of a broad ladle um, but not for people with torus palatinus so it's basically from from how the person i know described it is like having the early stages of an extra tooth coming through so imagine you're brushing your tongue over the top of your mouth and you just kind of feel this this toothy protrusion um i did say it's not as scary as it sounds but um you know, the more, the more I say, the less I feel like that. <laughs> so it can be shaped in almost any way. So it's not necessarily shaped like that of a, a tooth or a um, particularly, you know, smooth bump or anything. It can be basically any shape and it does vary in size, but it's usually quite small, all right? It doesn't often get larger than six millimeters. Well, according to my research anyway, so... Uh, again, it's quite similar to 
my extra ankle bone really doesn't make much of a difference. So vast majority of people who have uh, the condition don't really notice it or it's not, you know, part of their daily life. It doesn't affect them in any major ways. So, and this goes for the person that I know who has the condition. They explain to me that they basically don't notice it unless they go looking for it. So they know it's there, but um, yeah, it's not something you sort of just, as you're talking, you don't suddenly feel like the brush of a tooth. Um, it's quite benign. Um, I was trying to find some sort of information on how it comes about or why you get it. Um, and honestly, there is very little research into um, Taurus Palatinus. There's um, some, some suggestions, some hypotheses, but no researchers are really 100% on any one particular theory. So the, probably the, the most strongly supported theory um, is that it's a genetic condition. So possibly you can have it passed down, down from generations. Um, but they've also done research into diet, into people who clench their teeth or grind their teeth. And, um, you know, they've done a bit of research into whether or not having an increased bone density overall also can give you this condition. Interestingly, in, in my opinion, uh, regards to the diet option, the studies that they did do suggested that Taurus palatinus is more prevalent in countries or cultures, I guess, where saltwater fish is a large part of people's diet. And I thought that was really random um, until I looked into it a bit more. So basically, saltwater fishies have a higher concentration of something called polyunsaturated fats and vitamin D which are obviously two very important ingredients for bone growth. So I guess I can see how that goes hand in hand. And as I mentioned earlier, it's really not likely to that you'll be affected by the growth. Um, you sort of just live your whole life without ever addressing it. But as always, there are exceptions and, and some people do have to have the extra bone removed. So... The person that I know with the condition doesn't have uh, this issue. They don't really have any need to get rid of it. It doesn't affect uh, their day-to-day -day life. And, you know, there's no affecting of their eating, their drinking, speaking, dental care, um, you know, anything like that. But for some people where it grows sort of in the wrong position or in a, in a, a spot that's easily felt or... Um, for some people where the, the growth is quite large, it can affect them and, and give them things like a lisp or um, prevent proper dental care when it's sensitive and, you know, dentures as well as sort of a, a big thing that can be affected by it. So, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting to think about. Um, there you go. That's your next dinner table topic. Um, I'm not sure how you're going to find this one out when you're people watching, though. Um, please don't do anything weird at my recommendation, but yeah, let me know if you um, have ever heard of this. I certainly hadn't until I was uh, talking with my, my friend who has this and, and they sort of brought it up and asked, you know, do you have that? And I said, no. <laughs> Bilateral congenital extensor tendons dislocation over the matter. Meta carpophalangeal joints. 
I didn't butcher it nearly as much as I thought I would. Basically, to translate that into layman's terms, I decided wiggly tendons over the knuckles is the best way to sort of give you a good understanding. And might I add, I think it's important to address this now, I'm not 100% confident that this is even the correct condition or the exact condition that the person in my life has. But it is certainly the most similar in its descriptions. So to kind of explain further what this person can do, you have to put your hand in a fist for me. So put your hand in a fist and you will see obviously your four knuckles on the top, which are quite pronounced. If you flex your hand out into a star shape, you can see the tendons running down the hand and towards the tips of your fingers, right? Or at least I hope you can. <laughs> um, now wiggle your fingers and watch your tendons move. If you close your fist again, you'll notice that you can no longer move your tendons so freely. Um, so you can obviously move the tendons if you move the bones around, like your fingers around. But if you hold your fist tight, you shouldn't be able to move about your tendons. Um, that is unless you have wiggly tendons over the knuckles syndrome, which is what I call it. <laughs> um, so looking back down at your fist again, while it's all tightened up, imagine you can move the tendons like a wiggly little worm. <laughs> the person I know can do basically just that. Um, all four of their fingers and all four of their, their tendons can literally dance from side to side. So on and off of the knuckle and over the knuckle without moving the fingers, which is honestly quite creepy to watch. Um, wiggly tendons over the knuckles is, as far as I can find anyway, super rare. Um, finding information on the condition was really difficult and honestly, it was confusing most of the time. I was reading a lot of uh, medical reports and surgical reports and I obviously have no medical or anatomical, uh, anatomical qualifications. So for me, I was sort of reading a lot of stuff and having to then search what it meant and then come back and then continue. And um, a lot of the information I was getting was quite choppy. So, but out of the investigating I did do, I concluded um, that the dislocation or the ability to freely dislocate the tendons was often accompanied by um, something called the sagittal band. And I might be saying that wrong. It might be sagittal, but I really don't think so. So I'm going to call it sagittal band. Um, and basically the sagittal band, to put it simply, um, or how I understood it, is a mesh-like ligament that wraps around the knuckles. And it's basically used to stabilize the tendons during motion so um, in my very minimal scientific brain um, it's basically there to create some sort of friction right uh, to to sort of keep the tendon in place you know to, to stop it from slipping all about um, and and based on all of that information and, and that collating and the surgical reports and all the stuff that I was reading that I couldn't really understand I came to a hypothesis and it goes like this. <clears throat> the, 
The sagittal band in the person I know is not able to provide the normal amount of stability to the tendons and therefore allows for freer movement. So based on the cases I read and um, the information I gathered from, you know, the, the Google documents, uh, that that's sort of all that I could really pin together. And again, I'm really in no way, shape or form qualified to, to make such a hypothesis, um, but I've done it anyway, and you've just listened to it. So it's been birthed into the world. There's no going back. Uh, interestingly, the cases I was reading, almost all of them expressed pain, discomfort, swelling, uh, a general lack of control over the finger's flexibility. Um, and, and the reason I think that's interesting is because the person I know has no issues whatsoever with their condition. So they can move the tendons freely, comfortably, they have no compromised flexibility, and um, when I was talking to them about it, they were pretty confident in saying that they've never felt any form of discomfort because of that ability. So, um, yeah, the the cases present online were all almost all in relation to damage and surgical procedures done to fix the tendons. So I really couldn't find information on the ability to do so willingly on a condition where you know you could simply just have a lot more control over those tendons. So it's certainly very elusive, the condition, and um, and I'm eager to know more about it. So if you're listening to this and you know more, or you can correct some information that I've brought forward, or, or you can um, help with my hypothesis, then that would be awesome. And I'd really love to hear from you. But that's basically all the info I could get on the wiggly tendons over the knuckles syndrome. And um, as I said, she is completely fine. It's no compromised ability of the hands. And um, yeah, she's not in pain or anything. So that's definitely a good thing. But it is damn creepy. I will tell you that. (laughs) I have only one more to talk about. It's sort of more of an honorable mention than anything else. Um, I have... A friend who has a serious lack of hard cartilage in their nose and has essentially the shortest nasal bone I have ever come across. Um, So to give you an idea, if you touch your nose at the top where it starts between your eyes and then you pinch the sides around that area, most of us can feel the nasal bone. Then there is hard cartilage that provides shape to the nose and is, I guess, like relatively flexible and then there's the tip of the nose which is where um, all of the soft cartilage is so this is the cartilage that's easily moved and squished about and still you know sort of provides shape to the nose but is certainly not you know doing all most of the structure work however the cartilage in my friend's nose gives just enough shape to the nose to hold it up but if you squish it it will flatten like right onto their face. Basically the whole nose, not just the tip, like the whole nose. It just goes squished up against the face from, you know, sort of where it starts protruding can be all squished back down. Um, So essentially their nasal bone ends incredibly close to the face, meaning that most of the nose is shaped around cartilage rather than the firmness of the nasal bone. And... Uh, when I was trying, like trying to find out information about this, there I came across probably the most similar condition, which is saddle nose. Um, 
Saddle nose is basically the weakening or loss of cartilage, but this usually leaves the nose looking deformed or, or changes the shape in some way. My friend doesn't have this condition. They just have a really squishy nose. Um, it doesn't compromise them in any way and has no impact on their day-to-day -day life. It's just a cool tidbit, I guess. Um, you know, like if you punched them in the face, there would be a lot less resistance. Um, but yeah, it was something I thought was cool and we could briefly touch on it um, as I've sort of yet to meet anybody else who has something similar. I'm hesitant to call it a condition, but I really haven't heard of or met anyone else who has some sort of similar situation with their nose. And it's really not a condition that requires any follow-up, so there wasn't much to be said about it online. Basically, your nasal bone is short, your nose is full of cartilage, have a nice day. So that's why this is an honourable mention. I really don't have a lot to talk about or a lot to tell you about, um, and yeah, it's just a really squished up little cute little button nose of a thing, which I'm incredibly jealous about because my nose is not like that, and with that last bit of random information, I think it's probably about time I wrap my very first podcast up. I have had a great time researching this episode. I'd certainly be lying if I said I wasn't nervous recording this. So I do sincerely hope that that hasn't been too noticeable. Um, I also hope you found some entertainment or some enjoyment from listening. Uh, and if you really have made it this far, seriously, thank you so, so much for sticking around. Um, I'd love to hear if you know anybody with some common oddities or perhaps you have some yourself if you have facebook or instagram find me at ggramsemi and uh, swing me a message or or leave a comment anywhere there and wherever you're listening from thank you so much for tuning in hopefully i will see you again in the next episode and until then take care